that he connected with the importance of evangelism because we're expecting the Lord's return at any time. It puts an urgency then in our message that Jesus is coming. And so with that urgency and the belief that Jesus could come at any time, there is that excitement that goes along with it. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. And today we're going to be talking about a, a subject that in many churches it's considered contraband. And we're not to talk about this. It's very controversial. Much of the church doesn't believe in the rapture of the church, and we're going to be dealing with that topic today because I believe the Scripture deals with it as we're going through the Bible verse by verse. We come upon this portion of Scripture that speaks about the day of the Lord, the last days. Eschatology is the doctrinal term. It means the doctrines of the last things. Now, I taught on this a couple of years ago. My Sunday morning messages are practically scripted. I set down the copies up there if you'd like it because I'm dealing with it in a different way. Actually, in that message, I dealt with four arguments as I got into the message. It was titled the same. It wasn't out of this portion of Scripture, but I did use this portion of Scripture. But I dealt with why we believe in the pre-tribulational rapture and arguments against no-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. And so I'm not going to touch those subjects in that sense today, and I've already dealt with it a couple years ago. And so they're there for your pleasure after church, that you can read through that. I borrowed only a couple of things from that message. And one of the things that I borrowed comes from our Constitution and bylaws of our church. It's in Article 3 of the Statement of Faith, Point 3, reads this. We believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his virgin birth, in his vicarious, propitious, atoning death through his shed blood, his bodily resurrection, in his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and in his future personal return in power and great glory at the end of the age. Now it's dealing or concerning with his future personal return in power and great glory at the end of the age that we're going to be dealing with today, especially in the area of the rapture of the church. Now the term eschatology, as I've already said, means the doctrines of last days or the doctrines of last things, more literally. And that encompasses quite a bit. I believe it encompasses the regathering of the nation of Israel into her land. Now, that actually began in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s. But in 1948, in the 
month of May, Israel was declared, May 12th actually, Israel was declared a nation once again. And so the regathering of the nation, it didn't stop then. It's been continually going on people. And I read a a magazine called Israel Today. It's written from a Christian perspective, believers, Messianic Jews from Israel. But it's also kind of like a Time magazine in that sense. And every once in a while, they'll, they'll tell us where the people have been coming from. Largely right now, a lot of people, um, Jewish people who had scattered from all points of the earth from South America, believe it or not, is one of the areas that people are gathering in. Russia is a big area that people are coming from, that that's been slowing down. There are the Ethiopian Jews that are coming up and and so from Africa, and, and they're coming from the United States also, coming, as Scripture says, I'll gather them in from all points of the earth. And that's been going on. The rapture of the church is another part of eschatology or the doctrine of last things. The seven years of coming tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ upon this earth, the final judgment of all people, both believers and unbelievers, and the new heavens and the new earth. All these things are contained in the term eschatology, the doctrine or the study of last things. And it really encompasses over 1,007 years minimum. It's going to be more than that. But we know that the millennial reign, speaking of a thousand year reign of Christ, and the great tribulation gives us seven years of tribulation. And so we know a minimum with those two put together, 1,007 years. All these events encompassing this time, but Peter says of it in 1 Peter 4, 7, he was living as if it was going to happen tomorrow. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Paul was writing as if it was going to happen tomorrow. And the confusion in Thessalonica and the church in Thessalonica was because people began to die. There was confusion thinking that they had missed out on something. And so Paul is writing to correct the confusion that was in the church at that time, but they were living as if the Lord was coming at any time. And I believe we should be living in that very same way. The Bible teaches that we should. There'll be a day when the Lord comes for his church, and we'll read about it in a moment, but the Lord himself will descend with a shout. And so there'll be a day when the Lord's going to interrupt us. It could happen on a day like this. It could happen in a church service like this. It'd be glorious to be in church. But realize when we're in church here, there's people on the other side of this earth that they're going to sleep. You know, we have this different timetable throughout the whole world. And so it's going to happen. When it happens, the Lord's going to interrupt us. It's not going to matter what we're up to, what we're doing. The Lord's going to descend with a shout. He's going to interrupt us. And that will be the day that we'll see our Lord face to face. It could be that It'll be a personal interruption. It could be that it'll be through death that the Lord will say, it's time for you to come home personally. But the rapture of the church deals with those who are living, those who are alive, and will be caught up together as we were singing just a moment ago. That's what it deals with and we'll be speaking about in a moment. I'd like us to read through the context first. And actually, Paul deals with this theme next week. We'll be speaking about the day of the Lord. He has two similar closings in each portion, um, verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4. He closes with, therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
And in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. And so he's taking and teaching about the day of the Lord, which I've already said encompasses many things, minimum of 1,007 years. And so we read from verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, we ask that these words now would bring comfort to our hearts. For one day, Lord, we will be with you and will always be with you. And so, Lord, we look for comfort this day, not confusion. And ask that your spirit would teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these things. And I find that so many in the church today, they are ignorant concerning these things. I was teaching a brother a couple of years ago on this topic. He connected it, the whole Calvary Chapel and the pre-trib view that we hold in the rapture of the church, that he connected with the importance of evangelism because we're expecting the Lord's return at any time. It puts an urgency then in our message that Jesus is coming. And so with that urgency and the belief that Jesus could come at any time, there is that excitement that goes along with it. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brother. And we've learned through this study in First Thessalonians that Timothy had went to the church there in Thessalonica, had made his way back to Paul. And it's on his return that Paul begins to teach. Last couple of studies that we've had beginning in really in chapter 3, verse 11, down through chapter 4, verse 12, Paul's been concerned about their walk in this world as believers to abstain from sexual immorality, to lead a quiet life, to not be a busybody, as we have learned a few weeks ago, to work with your own hands. He's concerned about the believer's work in this life. But now he's looking forward to a time that deals with the coming of the Lord. And he said, I don't want you guys to be ignorant about this. Realize that from Scripture, it is understood that Paul was with the church there in Thessalonica a minimum of three weeks. He may have been there a little longer, but he was ran out of town because of persecution that came against him. He didn't find peace or rest to stay in a certain city during the second missionary journey until he made it to Corinth, where the Lord came to him and said, I have many people in this city, and he would remain there for 18 months teaching the word of God. Prior to this, he had been to other places, to Berea, to Thessalonica, to Philippi. And in each place, he was run out of town. He was in Athens, 
and they didn't receive his message. Only a few believed there. Then he made his way to Corinth, and there he taught, and there he wrote this letter back to the church in Thessalonica. And he would also very quickly write the second epistle and answer some concerns, some correspondence that he had with them. So in that little bit of time that he was with them, he talked about the coming of Jesus. He taught that Jesus is coming. It was a topic of discussion from the very beginning. Jesus is coming. He's coming for his church, and we want you guys to be ready. I find it interesting that he said, I don't want you to be ignorant brethren, and today we find that so many people are concerning the doctrine of last things, concerning this area of eschatology. And I'm not saying that I have it all down. And we know that knowledge can be dangerous. The Word tells us knowledge can puff up. And so it's in humility that I go to the Word of God realizing that I don't have it all down, but I study His Word to show myself approved, a workman worthy of the job that He has given me to do. And so it's with humility that I even teach this portion of Scripture today. But it's always been my faith that Jesus is coming for His church at any time. I was raised with this belief. I was also raised with other beliefs. I was raised in a denominational church that denied the work of the Holy Spirit in the church today. And when I began to read the Word of God for myself, one, I saw that the Holy Spirit was very vibrant in the work of the New Testament church when we read through the book of Acts, when we read through the epistles, and especially there in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, 13, 14, we read about the working of the Holy Spirit. We read through these different areas of Scripture, we see that the Spirit is available to us, not only to infill us, but to work through us and to fill us with the Spirit. And so I was raised that God doesn't work that way anymore, but I didn't find it anywhere in the Bible where it closed out in the book of Revelation, and thus says the Lord, I don't work this way anymore, so don't pay attention to anything else preceding this. I didn't find that, and because I didn't find that, I changed my views. I changed my belief. I believe that the Holy Spirit can and does come upon us and does desire to do the work. But I believe that we are too dependent upon ourselves and not so dependent upon the Lord, and therefore we don't see Him working like we used to be. And I believe it's not the Lord's fault, but our fault. But I was raised and taught that God doesn't work that way anymore. And I rejected that teaching because of the word of the Lord. But in this area of the rapture of the church, I was raised to believe that Jesus could come at any time. As I've said in, in churches today, this is considered contraband. They don't talk on that subject because it's confusing and we don't want to confuse the people. Now, one of the area pastors asked a friend of mine, said, why are Calvary chapels so focused on the pre-tribulational rapture of the church? And he responded, I think, beautifully, saying, it's because our belief in these events helps us interpret the Bible. It's how you view what the Lord is going to do. It helps us in interpreting the Scripture as we're reading through. There are several unfulfilled prophecies. There are many churches who don't believe that God is gathering His nation back into the land of Israel. Many churches today believe in replacement theology to where they are now Israel. Israel rejected the Messiah, so therefore now God is raising up a new Israel, and the church has become Israel. And I find it kind of humorous because that replacement theology has been around for a long time, for hundreds of years. But now Israel is in the land, 
And so what do you do with the people that God has isolated out for 2,000 years, kept them as a nation, and then planted them back into their land, taking a deserted place that prophecy had talked about would be fruitful once again? And so God is fulfilling prophecy. We're watching it happen before our eyes. And there are people who have chose to be ignorant in these areas. And the word tells us we're not to be ignorant of these things. And we have, as congregations, become ignorant of these very things that Paul wanted us and warned us not to be ignorant concerning. He goes on to say, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, in Scripture, sleep often refers to those who have died in the Lord. It's speaking about death. But it says it in such a pleasant way that we sleep. Paul, at the end of verse 14, says, sleep in Jesus. I love that. It's a beautiful way to describe death. They're they're sleeping in Jesus. In John 11, when word came to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, after two days, he said, let's go to Bethany. I'm going to wake up Lazarus. And the disciples thought, great, if he's asleep, it means that he's getting better. He's healing from his illness and that he's resting, he's getting better. And the disciples were thinking, great, we don't need to go to Bethany now because Bethany is only two miles away from Jerusalem. And they wanted Jesus dead, the religious rulers in Jerusalem. They wanted him dead. And Thomas would eventually say, oh, well, let's go and die with the Lord then. That was his attitude. Let's go. We'll just die with him then. Let's get it over with. They didn't want to go, but the disciples thought, well, if he's resting, if he's sleeping, he's getting better. And then scripture tells us that Jesus said plainly to them, Lazarus is dead. And so even Jesus describes death for the believer as sleep, as resting in Jesus. Those who sleep in Jesus, I believe it's beautiful to describe it that way. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's what this sleep talks about. It's coming into our rest. It's permanent. It's forever that we'll be with the Lord to rest in Jesus. And there's no greater place than to sleep in Jesus, than to rest in Jesus. But he also said in this portion of Scripture, we're not to sorrow as others who have no hope. He's not saying that we don't sorrow when a loved one goes to rest with Jesus, goes to sleep with Jesus, when a loved one dies. It's not that we're not to have sorrow, but our sorrow is to be different than the world who has no hope. We place our hope solely in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we realize as believers that death has no victory to those who believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, O death, Where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. O death, where is your sting? Hades, where is your victory? There is no sting of death. There is no victory when we sleep in Jesus. But it's because of what Jesus did. For if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, verse 14. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep. So it's all about Jesus. Realize that it's not about you. In this world, we like things to be about us. We 
wonder about what people think about us. We wonder what they're talking about us. If we hear our name, we could be in a room with a lot of people talking, and you can hear your name, and it could be somebody across the room, but you hear your name and your ear perks up. They could be talking about somebody entirely different. But you're so concerned about yourself that when you hear that name, you perk up to it. Now, John is a common name. And so you could say John and be talking about a number of different Johns or a bathroom or other things that it's been referred to. And it would really have nothing to do with me, but if I hear it, I'll, I'll perk up. We're concerned about ourselves, but realize it's not about us, it's about him. It's about what he's done and his work there on the cross, 1 Corinthians 15.3. Now remember, Paul is writing as he's sitting in Corinth. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. But when he came to the church there in Corinth, there was no church. He came to preach the gospel to them. And in 1 Corinthians 15.3, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. We all will die. Unless, of course, the rapture comes to preclude us from that. But we all will die. If we live a natural life on this earth, death will be part of our life. Jesus also died. But he was unique in that he did not have to. He didn't have to come, but he came. And once he was here, he had a choice still to follow the Lord. Part of that temptation of Satan in the wilderness after his prayer and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights was Satan trying to get Jesus to to upset the plan of God, the prophecies concerning him, but that Christ died according to the scriptures. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. In John 10, 17, the Lord said, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. So Jesus, unique, among all people in this earth, God incarnate, God in flesh, deity, but also full in humanity, full in deity, also in humanity. He was totally God and totally man. And in that nature, he was able to, as he said, I have the power to lay it down, my life, and to take it up again. But Jesus' death is unlike our death because when he died, he died for the sins of the world. He died for our sins, not for his own. As we read earlier, Jesus is vicarious, which means his substitutionary death, his propitious, which talks about the appeasement, literally translated in 1 John 2, 2, when he becomes our propitiation, it talks about the mercy seat. That word in the Greek is mercy. He becomes that appeasement, that covering the atoning death on the cross fully paid the price of our sins. The writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, although he didn't sign his work there, in Hebrews 9.14 he says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more shall the blood of Christ who offered himself without spot to God. Jesus offered himself. 1 Peter 1.18 For knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold 
from your aimless conducts received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. But it goes on to say, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through Him believed in God, who raised Him from the dead, gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. We're, we're not to sorrow like others who have no hope. Our faith and hope is to be solely placed in Jesus. It's His work. There on the cross. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. He is to be our hope, our blessed hope. We're to look to Jesus to have that hope. And Father, we just want to know that we were right with you. Lord, we look forward to, we're to comfort one another with these words. We're to look forward to your coming. We know that preparation comes through faith in the work that you did on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that here in this place that everyone believes, that we all believe, that we all know you. For when, Lord, you come, whether, whether it's coming individually or corporately, Lord, when you come, that we are ready and that we are watchful and that we are prepared. That is my prayer this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. (music) 